is faith in God through Jesus' Son by the Holy Spirit according to truth, to Scripture. Faith's not a power we operate. It's not a something that operates kind of thing and it gets bigger and stronger and, you know, like Star Wars Force. Faith is not focused upon an outcome, but upon God, faith is God. But Jesus said, have faith in God. Habakkuk 3. The just shall live by his faith. Faith for the Christian is not a hobby, a pastime, a little activity on a Sunday. It is the way we live. The just shall live by faith. Now this is a topic you might think is rather strange. Faith and authority. But let, work with me. Let's go through this together. Faith and authority. We are by nature's rebels against authority. After all, in our fall with Adam and Eve at the beginning, we rejected God as our ruler. We thought we knew better. We've had a problem with accepting leadership and authority ever since then. It's kind of wired into us. We both inherit and inhabit an attitude of rebellion against authority. But faith depends upon an understanding and acceptance of authority in three ways. The authority of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The authority of his word, which instructs us and directs us. And the authorities he has given in life, in different realms of life, we'll look at those later, who hold responsibilities towards and, in a sense, over others, which are delegated to them by God himself. But to begin, let's go to this, the centurion's faith. He's got his sword drawn there, so he's a pretty scary fellow. Let me point you to the account in Matthew of the centurion who had more faith than any Israelite of that time. This is a Gentile, a Roman, but Jesus said he had more faith than any Israelite of that time. Here it is in Matthew 5, Matthew 8, sorry. I'm going to read more than is on the screen. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. It's a strange thing that was going on there. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to hear that? The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled what it is to make Jesus amazed, eh? And said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the Gentiles coming into the family of Israel and the kingdom of God. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's work from the commendation of Jesus. This centurion was not an Israelite, but a Gentile. What the Jews would call a dog. Yet he believed and trusted Jesus in a way that no Israelite had yet done in that time of Jesus among them. 
He came to ask Jesus to heal his servant. Yet when Jesus offered to come to his home to do so, he replied that it would not be appropriate for at least two reasons. First of all, he was a Gentile and unworthy. And if Jesus entered his house, Jesus would become unclean. Don't enter my house, I'm not worthy of that. Second reason, you don't need to come, you only need to say a word. It wasn't necessary for Jesus to come. One word would be enough. That man's faith was completely connected to his understanding of authority. Look at again what he says. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed, for I also am a man under authority. Get that? I'm a man under authority. The centurion compared himself to Jesus and came to a conclusion that like himself, Jesus had authority because he was under authority. The centurion could issue orders to his soldiers and his servants because he'd been given that authority by a direct chain of command from Rome, from the emperor. He was the emperor's man in Capernaum. He saw Jesus at work and said to himself, this man is under the highest authority, God himself. Now that doesn't diminish Jesus in any way. He was and is the eternal Son of God. But here he is God-made man, and he was submitting to the Father and doing what the Father showed him to do, speaking what they gave him to speak. You can read about that again and again in John's Gospel. I started, I, the other morning I woke up really early and I read through John's Gospel, read all the words in red, and mark, mark how often Jesus said it. If I went through those, we'd be here another hour. It's the sort of thing that is mentioned in Philippians 2. Jesus humbled himself, did not use his own capacity as God, but relied upon the Father directing him and telling him what to do, what to do, and what to say. So he always did the things that were pleasing the Father in his life amongst us. It was part of his humility and submission. And because of that humility and submission, right to the point of the cross, right to yielding up his spirit in death, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. So the centurion took this as fact, that Jesus had only to issue an order and heaven would do it. His servant would be healed because Jesus was a man under the highest authority. No one in Israel had stepped up to that kind of faith to that time. We're talking about faith in the authority of God and his word of truth. And God's word really matters. The scriptures are very, very important to us. Remember this, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not just manna, it's what God said to them. And what God said to them really matters. That text is not pointing to our words of prophesying. We can't claim that our words proceed from the mouth of God. I'll come back to it a bit later. There might, there might be God's word in our mouth, but don't put words in his mouth. But to the scriptures, Paul writes to Timothy, what are the words that proceed from the mouth of God? Here's the answer from scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration, literally the breathing out of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. This word is God's breathed-out word to us today. All right? Jesus had the highest regard for the Scriptures. He says, you will know the truth, should be capital T, and the truth shall make you free. You'll know the truth of Scripture. And then he prayed in 
John 17, to the Father, sanctify them through your tr- by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the understanding and application of Scripture. So please read uh, or, and listen to and think through and pray through God's word. You know, there's a common saying amongst Pentecostals and Charismatics, what we need is a rima word. We need a rima word. There is no such difference in the Greek New Testament between rima word and logos word. They are interchangeable. What we mean by that is that God has spoken his word. There are times when some of his word comes alive to us in a fresh way. He's speaking to us from his word. That's fine. But it isn't like we don't need this anymore. We need the fresh thing. We need the new thing. No, we don't. That's pretty much heresy. Or, you know, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but we've got a new revelation. God's doing a different thing. Oh, really? I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Having nothing to do with your new revelation. Scripture is not open to private interpretation, to fresh, re- to, to, to fresh revelation that overthrows the plain sense of Scripture according to context. We live by the Scriptures. God doesn't speak, God will speak to us day by day out of his word as we think and pray, meditate. He feeds us and leads us through his word. In a way, that's what the centurion came to. He saw Jesus, a man under authority of God, and said, you speak the word because it will be his word. Get it? You speak the word because that will be God's word and it will happen. In a way, that's what the scripture Now, Jesus has all authority. All authority has been given to me and in heaven and on earth. When we say Jesus is Lord, that is what we're proclaiming. That Jesus has all authority. He is, with the Father and with the Spirit, the Almighty One. The All-Knowing One. The All-Wise One. There's nothing left. It belongs to Him. You know, we, we read earlier, Chidinima read to us earlier from 1 Chronicles, wasn't it? Wisdom and might, or, 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 or uh, uh, power and might. And we think, well, power and might are the same thing. No, it's because we misunderstand this word power. Power means authority. Might means strength. God is both wise enough and has enough authority to do anything he wishes to do, and he has the strength and ability to do it too. Wisdom and might, authority and, and might are his. So the Lord Jesus can do anything and everything because there's no limit on his power and his might that accords with the character and purpose of God. Our faith doesn't depend upon our feelings or even on our experiences. And by the way, you can't argue your experience against Scripture either. Well, that's not my experience. Well, your experience needs to change. God's power, God's authority... It rests upon. That your faith should not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God, Paul wrote to the Colossians, Corinthians. Rather. We understand the character and purpose of God through Scripture. We call upon him and trust him as having all power to accomplish whatever he wills, to meet our every need and to equip us for every event. But for us to live with authority, as the children of God, we must be under authority, under the authority of the Lord. Now here's a scripture that we will probably know a bit of. Let me give you the whole thing. James 4 verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. People, some people like to kind of give the devil a ticking off. And, we rebuke you. You have no chance if you do not already first submit to God. It's wasted effort. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So come to him, submit to him, receive grace. And when the devil comes on your patch, you say, go away, devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Because you are submitted to God. That's the whole sense of it. Further down, the Lord, uh, James says this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, you're having a hard time. Say, Lord, I'm here, please help me. And, and there'll be a moment when he'll come and he'll lift you up. It's as we submit and humble ourselves to God that we have the authority to do what we need to do in life. Then the delegated authorities is given and are over us. The scriptures speak of three realms of authority. First is the family, God's authority in the family. God's authority is delegated within the human family, and in particular the Christian household. So Deuteronomy, it says this, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given to you. You want to have a better time and not such a hard time? Well, honor your parents. We learn to honor authority from our infancy because the authority is right there in front of our eyes. We have parents who are over us in the Lord. An unruly child dishonors their parent. The law had severe penalties for cursing or striking your father and mother. There's something about our attitude towards authority that must be learned in dealing with our parents from the earliest age. Yet our parents should not be harsh with us, with their children, but nurture them and admonish them in God, in the Lord. The New Testament epistles contain clear instructions to the Christian family. We mustn't allow our society or so-called modern values to move us away from God-given principles and responsibilities of how we are to raise our children in the Lord. And I would say... This is the way I understand scripture. That the authority and responsibility of a parent, though not of course their love and care, ends when their child leaves their home to make a new home, usually in scripture with their spouse. Here's the creational ordinance. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Did you get the leave? And be joined... King James Version, old version says cleave. We talk about leaving and cleaving. No apron strings or, or belt loops from mommy and daddy. You've got to let them go. And be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So from that time onwards, from that time of leaving, and they, they, they're a new household, the relationship between the child and the parent remains one of respect but not of direct obedience. You cannot command their obedience anymore. I know that cuts across some cultural traditions, but I don't mind, because I'm preaching scripture. But leave his father and mother is not just for the wedding night or honeymoon and then come back again. <laughs> You've got to get out there and get on with life with parents advising and helping and encouraging, but no longer directing. You understand? Our goal in parenting is to produce adult children. Responsible adults. For us as Christians, believing responsible adults. That's our goal. Not firstly career, but character and faith. 
and integrity and moral uprightness. We never lose the authority. Now, let me make, I should have put this on the screen. I want to put this in bold headlines. Though you let go of your children when they move away from you, you never lose the authority to pray for them. That still rests with you. Don't ever give up praying for them because you never lose that authority. You got it? Okay, I should have made that a bold thing. Second realm is society. God's authority is delegated within human society. Let me give you a clutch of scriptures here. Romans 13, let every soul, meaning person, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, the governor, the government, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And so he goes on. And he says, it finishes, I haven't got time to do the whole passage with you. Finishes in verse 7. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. That's like traditions. Fear to whom fear. Honour to whom honour. Paying all due taxes is a Christian duty. So is obeying all human laws, except where they are contrary to God's laws and godliness. Titus. This is a theme that gets returned to in the New Testament. Remind the believers, Titus, who's a young kind of pastor, Christian leader, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. Remind them. To obey. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Then, in Timothy, Paul's letter to his other young protege, Timothy, I sung a bit too lustily earlier. We're told to even pray for these people. What? Pray for the government? Yeah. You might like the Queen and dislike the Prime Minister. There's nothing to do with it. Pray for your governors. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in sight of God our Saviour. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The gospel can spread where we are at peace and can be amongst people peaceably. When Paul wrote such things to Christian believers in the 80s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, the highest human authority on planet Earth was the Emperor of Rome. And none of them were good ones. And in fact, by the time of the last letters written in the book of, in, in the New Testament, the emperor of Rome was a chap called Nero, who was an utterly vile and depraved tyrant. Yet the principle of honouring authority still applied, even when the, the, the chief governor was wicked and despicable. So if that applied when the boss was Nero, we can't get out of it. We're to honour those in authority. And then God's authority in the church. God's authority is delegated within the church. Church leaders given a number of similar names or descriptions in the New Testament. He's a shepherd or pastor. 
People tend to use pastor nowadays instead of manager for certain church roles, pastor of music, pastor of finance, and all kinds of stuff. If it isn't shepherding people, it's not pastoring. Let's get over that one, all right? But big churches need administrators and managers as well as pastors, and that, those are important roles, but they're different roles and gifts. We value them. They're different roles and gifts. He is an elder, a mature person, but there's also a comparison to the elders of Israel who were the congregational leaders. They led troops or companies of people. He's an overseer, one who watches over, but also one who directs common effort and goals. The Greek word in, for that is, in modern versions, translated overseer, but in the old King James it was translated bishop because they had bishops. So that's what they translated it as. But a bishop is nothing other than an elder or a pastor, and it isn't some group, something that's over them as well, okay? just means a, a pastor or a church leader should be a servant, a shepherd, and a steward, and such leaders are to be followed. Again, Paul in his writings mentions this a number of times. I urge you, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 5, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. They're overseers and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 13, there's a clutch of scriptures here. Remember those who rule over you, who've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their faith. And the next verse is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. That's the outcome of their faith, that they, they're showing Jesus to you. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out, out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And lastly, End of the chapter. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. By the way, Hebrews 13 alone convinced me that the whole book was written by Paul. Church leaders need to be accountable to one another in the same eldership team and to others beyond their local church. Presbyterianism, being accountable beyond one local church. How that gets organized differs across different denominations. I'm not here to defend Elim or any criticize anyone else, but the principle should be one of mutual help encouragement, instruction, and accountability. When things begin to go wrong, others need to step in and take charge. <clears throat> we have authority when we respect and submit to authority so that we can say with centurion, I am a man or woman under authority. And we get to say what our master once said and do what our master once done. But we must be careful not go to go beyond our, dele our delegated authority. We do not have authority to reinterpret Scripture, to reject some Scriptures and, 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 and push others into a new agenda. We don't, we don't wrestle Scripture so that we get what we want from it. We submit to Scripture as God's Word. We can't prophesy, declare, decree or declare anything we just wish or hope for or vaguely have some I've thought about. That would be, to quote Tony Evans, the great African-American preacher, to put our words in his mouth rather than repeating his words in our mouth. All delegated authority comes with accountability. We must all give account to God. To use the parables that Jesus gave us, the servants will all appear before their master. Some people can go around preaching and some even prophesying things and, and they'll predict things that then don't happen. Who holds them accountable for that? You're not supposed to predict things and then they don't happen. You need to be held accountable for saying stuff and it didn't happen. Do you understand? I don't, we, we don't, we're not going to stone them. That's the old covenant, okay? 
But we do want them to apologize, I got that wrong. Yeah? It's about time some ministry was held accountable. And it's better to be held accountable in now than when Jesus tells you accountable. Leadership will be accountable for how they have led and influenced others. Jesus told a number of parables which join this master-servant relationship and undelegated authority and accountability. But a common point in those stories is this. Those who handled their delegated authority and responsibilities well did so because they had a good attitude and relationship with the master. Those who thought ill of their master behaved badly. I knew you were unjust, I knew you were a hard taskmaster, so I buried it. Oh, so I'm a hard taskmaster, am I? Okay. You know that parable? But those who said, oh no, I, you know, the, my master's given me a good treasure here, I'm going I'm 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 to please him. Their attitude made all the difference. Their attitude towards their master made all the difference to how they got on with their tasks, their responsibilities, and how they treated their fellow servants. It's a very crucial thing. If I'm submitted to his authority, I will accept and respect the authorities he's placed over me. His word, parents, while I still live with them, I'll respect them in a different way when, I'm away, when I've moved away from them. The governors of our society, therefore the laws of this nation, the leaders of my church. There's a great deal of lawlessness and rebellion in our time. I'm not saying we shouldn't question and challenge the authorities, including elders and Christian leaders who are not serving the common good or they're being selfish or they're being overbearing, but to seek to overthrow all authority and become entirely individualistic, responsible and accountable. No one is, hear this, a thoroughly godless objective. It's godless, that kind of thinking. People will wear banners in America and and got Jesus on them and stuff. And it's like, you are a rebel. You, that's not honouring Jesus. That's godlessness. Now, you might be thinking, what does that got to do with faith? Well, listen, faith is not just a way of getting things to happen. The just shall live by faith. It's our way of life. And faith cannot work without authority. Because you only trust God because he's God. Because he's able. Because he has all authority. If God isn't able to help you, why are you going to call upon him? Why are you going to trust him? But he's able. He has all authority and all wisdom and all power. We call on the Lord because he is the Almighty. We believe and act upon his word because it is his truth. We must learn to fit ourselves in good conscience to all authorities in life because he places over them over us at different stages in different realms of life. But our relationship to every other authority depends upon our relationship with him that we're bowing, submitting to our Lord, our Master. Who is he to you? How do you think of him? Is he your good shepherd and master, or is he a hard taskmaster? Well, I better do this, or I might get in trouble. Really? Is that the best your heart goes to? Renew our hearts, Lord. Did you see that earlier? Prayer renewal. Who and what are you towards him? How do you think of yourself? Now, we're going to be doing Freedom in Christ later in September again and probably be open to all. We'll talk about that when we do some more planning this week. But How do you think of yourself? That matters, doesn't it? Are you, do you regard yourself? And you need to regard your fellow Christians this way too. Have the same regard for them as you understand these things for yourself. As a child of God, 
a servant or steward of the Lord. People, take, people today in church will be praying for the servant of the Lord, the preacher. Listen, you're servants of the Lord too. Don't put it all on me and think somehow you get out of it. I have, a, I have more responsibility and I'm more accountable. I acknowledge that, absolutely. But you are serving the Lord, or not. We are his stewards. Every part of our life is to be run with faith, with his supply, with his help, for his honour. People have got into the habit of thinking of a preacher as a servant of the Lord, but we're all that's that. To live wisely and well, we need to submit to the authority of God, the authority of his word, and to those whom he gives authority over us. Authority, understanding and accepting authority, is an essential part of living by faith. When you know that God is God and that he is with you, you'll be watching and listening. And when he says, say this, you dare to say it. Believing that he's put his words in your mouth. I'm not against prophesying, I'm just against the daft stuff. Where people overstretch, they overreach. They go beyond what is actually their remit, their responsibility. We're going to take communion together. We're going to pray as we do so. Let me pray first. Father, I pray that you'll give us more understanding about authority for some of us are parents and we want to handle our authority towards our children who are still with us well. And to those who have already left home and have their own home, we want to operate in our authority to pray for them. We need to let go of, in some ways, but hold them firmly in our prayers and guide them in secret through our intercession. Lord Jesus, help us in our attitude towards those who are in authority over us in the church and in the state, in the society. For we are too easily led by the rest of society around us into bad attitudes, bad speaking. We pray, Lord Jesus, that our thoughts about you will be great ones, high ones, good ones. That we'll understand the right things about ourselves. We won't think less of us than we are, truly, according to your word. But we won't have a high opinion of ourselves that makes us proud and haughty. That we look down on others and think we're something more than we are. We pray for humility, for in humility there is safety. You rescue the humble. You deliver those who call upon you. But the haughty you watch from a distance. Oh God, renew our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't got one of the